Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Uh, let's pray. Uh, we need to ask the Lord to uh, make these words that were written many years ago alive to us today. So, Father, I want to thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters uh, that has got up early. Uh, and to me, they that says they're hungry. Uh, I want to be hungry, Lord, to get to know you better. And we know there's no better way to get to know you, Lord, than opening your word and reading it. Uh, and then not only reading it, Lord, but actually applying it uh, into our everyday life. So I just pray, Lord, that you'd anoint myself, uh, what I would share, that you'd anoint the hearts of those that are going to hear. We pray, Father, there would be a supernatural divine connection between you and us this morning. So, Father, we thank you and we come with an expectant heart. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, away we go. We're doing uh, 1 Samuel 22. So David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discouraged, contented, gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him, and David went from there to Mitzvah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart, go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hare. That Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. <clears throat> now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. And all his servants were standing around him. And Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjaminites, will the son of Jesse also give to all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me so that there's no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there's none of you who's sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush, as it is this day. Then Dog, the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, answered and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Abimelech, the son of Abitah. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent someone to summon Abimelech, the priest, the son of Abihud, and all his father's household, <clears throat> the priests who were in Nob, and all of them came 
to the king. And Saul said, listen now, son of Abihah. And he answered, here I am, my lord. Saul then said to him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that it should rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day. <clears throat> then Abimelech answered the king and said, who among all of your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who's captain over your guard and is honored in your house. That I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. But the king said, You shall surely die, Abimelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around, put the priests of the Lord to death, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Dog, you turn around and attack the priests. And Dog, the Edomite, turned around and attacked the priests. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, also oxen, donkeys, sheep. He struck with the edge of the sword. But one son of Abimelech, <coughs> the, the son of Abathar, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. For you are safe with me. <clears throat> okay. So uh, as we look here at 1 Samuel 22, uh, I think we get the, the scene leading up to it that David is fleeing. Uh, he's fleeing. From Saul, Saul has been pursuing him, wanting to kill him, knock him out. And David flees to the cave of Adullam. And basically, <clears throat> at that point, uh, Gad, the prophet, goes to David and says, Hey, no, 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 don't stay here, because if you stay in this cave, you're going to be in trouble. Flee to Judah. So as we go on in verse 6, Saul hears about what's going on. Verse 6, then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. So at that point, uh, Saul's really bent out of shape. He's upset because he thinks his people are all conspiring against him. And he gets all worked up. He says, hey, you know what? Uh, none of you are faithful. My son Jonathan has turned against me. And he and, and David, you might say, are in cahoots. So he's, he's really saying, like, what is going on here? And if you look at verse 9, uh, while all this is going on and he's saying everybody is conspiring against him, one man comes up and says, hey, no, 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 Saul. Hey, 
I am a loyal servant of yours. So look at verse 9. Then Dog, the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, answered and said, I saw the son of Jesse, okay, that's David, coming to Nob, to Abimelech, the son of Abitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provision, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So basically, <clears throat> Dog says, hey, um, this Abimelech is really not working for you, Saul, because guess what? He inquired of the Lord for, for David. He also gave David a sword. Verse 11, then the king sent someone to summon Abimelech, the priest, the son of Abudub, and all his father's household, the priests who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king. So basically, he's saying here uh, that they're all summoned, 12. And Saul said, listen now, son of Abitam. And he answered, here I am, my Lord. And Saul then said to him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that he should rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? So Saul's really kind of getting very paranoid at this point. Uh, he thinks David's out to get him. And at this point, uh, Saul's really, um, he's upset. Like nobody is helping me. Nobody's on my side. Nobody consoles me. But this one guy, this dog, the Edomite, Saul's beginning to say, hey, at least I got one person that's on my side. Now, as it goes on, uh, <clears throat> it's not a good picture because like, look at verse 16. Because, because dog has, in a sense, squealed on Abimelech, uh, Abimelech is now brought before Saul. And it says 16. And the king said, you shall surely die, Abimelech, you and all your father's household. And this is radical. Look at what happens. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, turn around, put the priests of the Lord to death. I mean, this is heavy duty stuff for Saul to say. Put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal to me. Okay, an order is given now, <clears throat> basically, uh, to the attendants of Saul, wipe out Abimelech. From Saul's perspective, he's a traitor. So it says here, again, 17, turn around and put the priest of the Lord to death because their hand also is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Dog, okay, this is the guy supposedly that's standing up with Saul. You turn around and attack the priests. And Dog the Edomite turned around and attacked the priests. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. The linen ephod is a sign of being a priest. So Dog slaughters and massacres 85 priests. And, and that's not enough for Dog. 19. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword. And look what he does. He kills both men, women, children, infants, also, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, oxen, 
donkeys and sheep, he struck with the edge of the sword. Not a good picture at all. It's really bad. Saul, in a sense, almost goes like a maniac and wipes out this whole group of priests and the people that live with the priests. So I ask myself the question, like, what happened here? What happened in Saul's life? What caused him to go bad? So that's kind of what I want us to look at today, <clears throat> is to look at an overview of Saul's life. See where he started, see where he began to depart from the Lord, and where he really went down the tubes. Because <clears throat> this is a picture of, unfortunately, of what can happen to us at times. It is possible for people to backslide, start out strong, but at the end, go down the tubes. So I want to give you a little bit of an overview. We're going to jump around a little bit here and look at Saul's life. So let's go back. Turn with me, if you would, First Samuel chapter 9. And we hear something about Saul. This is where the whole thing begins to get going. First Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> now, there was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Bekorah, the son of Abadam. Boy, these names are interesting back then. The son of Benjamin, a mighty man of power. This, this is Kish. Two, he had a son whose name was Saul. Now look at how Saul's described, a choice and a handsome man. There was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders up, he was taller than any of the people. So Saul seems to stand out as a very, very uh, handsome person, but not just good looks, but he seems to have a strength behind him. We see if you go to 9.17, God goes to the prophet Samuel, and he fills Samuel in about Saul. 9.17, when Samuel saw, saw, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. So God says, Samuel, I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm going to anoint this man, Saul, and he's going to become the king. Now, you go a little bit further. Um, he actually is anointed. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head. Saul said, kissed him, and said, has not the Lord anointed you a roar over his inheritance? And if you look at verse 6, Saul is going to be anointed, and then something special is going to happen. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. So <clears throat> basically, Samuel says, hey, Saul, you're going to be king, you're going to be anointed, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you in such a way that you're changed into another man. So something very powerful uh, is happening in regards to Saul. So everything's good. I mean, it's a great start. 
Saul's Rome full speed ahead as the king is anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But things begin to slide. So if you look at chapter 10 and verse 8, uh, the Lord has a command for King Saul. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. So very clear order from Samuel, God's anointed prophet. Clear order to Saul. Hey, this is what I want you to do. You go to Gilgal. You don't do a thing. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do offerings. You wait. Wait seven days. So Saul goes to Gilgal. The people of Israel are called the Gilgal as well. While this is going on, uh, the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, are looking like they're going to attack Israel. And a couple of days are going on, and this, this possible attack of the Philistines seems to be getting a greater and a greater threat at this point to Israel. So basically, before there's a battle, always the Israelites call on a priest to do sacrifices or pray or do something. In other words, they want to call the Lord to be with them in the battle before the battle begins. So Saul is getting a little bit, uh, he's getting very, I, I would say, shaky at this point. He sees that the, the Philistines are coming and a battle's just about ready to break loose. Saul also knows that you don't go in the battle till somebody offers a sacrifice, a priest, so that, in a sense, God's blessings on the Israels to defeat the Philistines. Well, the only person that can do that, the priest, is Samuel. And guess what? Samuel isn't showing up. So Saul does something. Uh, if you look at chapter 13, 8 and 9, here's what happens. <clears throat> And now he waited, Saul, seven days, according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from Saul. Okay, battles are just about ready to come. And it says, Saul waited seven days, according to the appointed time. Here's the only key. And if you look at all the scriptures, the only thing I can make sense of it is Samuel said, you wait for seven full days, not part of the seventh day, you wait, in other words, till I show up. And it's almost, I think, the way I read it, that God shared with Samuel, hey, you're going to be here. You need to do the sacrifice before the battle. And in a sense, God's putting a major test to Saul. Will you trust me, Saul? Even though the full seven days have not com been completed, will you trust me that I'm going to send Samuel in the right time frame to be able to pray before the battle occurs. But Saul basically does not obey God. He panics, and instead of waiting for Samuel, he takes matters into his own hand. Look at this, uh, verse 9. 
chapter 39. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. So he took matters into his own hands. And look what happens. 10. And it came about as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, that behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering for me, and that you did not come within the appointed time, that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not asked the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. So he shares this with Samuel, and Samuel is not a happy camper. Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you, here it is, have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Samuel said, hey, Saul, you dropped the ball. I said, wait till I show up. And you didn't wait. And, you know, it's kind of a, a scary thing because King Saul had such responsibility. God held him to a very uh, strict regimen because he was to set an example for the people. And here what happens, uh, basically, he disobeys the Lord. And it, there's a tragic consequence. And the consequence is he's going to lose the ability to be the king of Israel at that point. And, and God basically says, hey, I'm taking the kingdom from you, Saul, and I'm going to hand it to David. And this is the way he describes David. Uh, I like this. Um, let me see. Verse 14, a man after his own heart. I think it's very interesting to hear that terminology. What does it mean to have a, a term, a man after God's own heart, or a woman after own, God's own heart? What's it mean to be somebody after God's own heart? And we get the answer to that in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. <clears throat> David is described this way. A man, this, again, it's neat. In the New Testament, it describes David. It says, a man after my heart, God says, and here it is, who will do all my will. Okay? That's what it means to be a person after God's heart. That's the way God perceives it. He said, if you do all my will, not some of it, not most of it, but if you do all my will, if that's your, your, your driving desire, then you're a person after my heart, somebody that brings a joy to me. So here we see, basically, uh, there's a strong consequence for disobedience. So Paul, uh, Saul begins to begin to slip at this point, okay? But now there's a second incident, and you're going to see that Saul slips again a little bit more. So the next incident is in 1 Samuel 15. And Get it here, First Samuel 15, <clears throat> 1 to 3. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Again, 
Samuel says, listen carefully to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'll punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he set himself against him on the way while he was coming out from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put to death both man, woman, child, and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And a lot of people wrestle with, you know, wow, that's cruel. Why would God just say wipe out the entire gang? I think there's two reasons. Number one, from what we know from history, the, the, these people, uh, the Amalekites, were just ruthless people, uh, idolatrous people, um, sexually promiscuous people. Uh, and I believe research many times has said that they had like syphilis, they had all these sexual diseases. Uh, and I think God said, the only way I can preserve my people, Israel, I have to wipe out this group of people because number one, if my people interact with them, they're going to get sexually uh, basically distorted from these Amalekites. Not only that, these Amalekites are going to lead my people to worship foreign gods. So the only way I can protect my people, in a sense, is that this group has to be wiped out. So God says to Saul, go and wipe them out. So um, look at verse 7, chapter 15, 7. So Saul defeated the Amalekites. Ben Havilah, as you go to Sir, which is in the east. And they captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And other they destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, so he does some of what God told him to do. But, but, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So basically, Saul wipes out some, but he, he saves the king, doesn't kill him, and some of the choice spoiled uh, of the animals. Look at 10. Again, the Lord fills the word into Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, this is 11, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. He has not carried out my commands and Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all that night and then Samuel goes right to Saul and Samuel confronts him head on look at this verse uh, 18 of chapter 15 Samuel's addressing Saul Lord has sent you Saul on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which your Lord sent me, and I have brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, the people. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of things devoted to destruction, the sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And then Samuel really points the finger at him and says this. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. And then he goes here. 
For rebellion, that's disobedience, okay, to God's command. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Divination is, in a sense, trying to discern things from the devil. Rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is iniquity and idolatry. Because if you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Wow. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, basically, uh, things really go south because of that disobedience. In 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And one last thing. So we see incident number one of disobedience, incident number two of disobedience. And here's number three. Last week, we saw the battle of David and Goliath. He overcomes Goliath with this stone, knocks him out. Uh, and this is celebration uh, when David wins the day. If you look at 1 Samuel 18 and look at verse 6. And it happened as they were coming after the victory. When David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments. And note what the women are doing. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry for the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they've ascribed thousands. Now what more can we have but the kingdom? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. So he's very jealous. Uh, again, you can see the downward spiral. Disobedience. 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 Now he's getting very jealous of David. And I, I can just see a spiral down, 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 down. It's not like one day Saul decides, I'm going to go bad, and I'm going to do this horrendous thing of killing 85 uh, priests and allowing this dog to wipe out this whole group of people. He didn't go from being anointed to that terrible crime overnight. It was a slide, a slide down, a slide down. And we see he really goes down the tubes. Uh, because uh, 1 Samuel 28, at the end of his life, he tries to contact the dead, which is directly forbidden in the scriptures. So we've kind of taken a, a look at Saul's life. So what do I get from this? Uh, I get this. It's so important. Let me say it again. It's so important to listen to the Lord. And when he tells you to do something, to do it. Because this is what happens. Because if we know God's telling us to do something, and we, we turn the switch, I don't want to hear it, our heart begins to be hardened. And as that process goes on, not only does our heart begin to be hardened, our conscience begins to be dulled. So what we would be convicted of originally, now we begin to slip and we don't know the conviction. Saul had to slip drastically to get to the point of saying, 
wipe out 85 priests. He, he hardened his heart. His conscience became dull. And it was disastrous. It cost him, literally, the kingdom. So, friends, we can't trifle with God's instructions. We can't ignore his commands because there will be a consequence to pay. And what's interesting to me, <clears throat> this happened to Saul, but it happened to the wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon. And it's interesting, we're going to get there, but a similar picture. In the very beginning of his reign, Solomon cries, God, God, I need wisdom. And God blesses him with wisdom. But again, it's not like Solomon drastically disobeys right off the bat. No, uh, he begins to slide and backslide gently. He begins to get involved with foreign women, which God said, do not do that. And as he kept getting involved with foreign women, what happened? Those women grabbed his heart. And now he began to worship foreign gods. And he began to go down the tubes. So what's the takeaway? To me, the takeaway of 1 Samuel 22 is this. We need to really carefully listen to the Lord. But not only do we need to carefully listen to the Lord, we need to then obey the Lord when we've heard him speak to us. Again, you know, these themes run all through the Bible. And I can't think of how many soaps that I've had to do that keep emphasizing a specific point, which is obedience is so, so important. And it's obedience not out of fear per se. Yeah, a fear, a healthy respect of God, but it's obedience that wants to please God, to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, to bring joy to God and, and to obey him because we love him. So practically, as I wrap up here, how do we actually listen to the Lord? How do we obey him? It's not overly complex. Number one, guess what? Here it is. Here's the book. And we've been reading it chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter. To know what God wants us to do, we need to read the Bible because he's very clear there what he asks of us to walk in alignment with his will. And, and he many times repeats what he asks over and over and over and over so that we can't miss it. And one of the major big themes of the Bible is, please listen to what I say and then do what I ask you to do. Obey me. So one major way to do that, which is to be able to read the word of God. If Solomon had read the word of God where it said, do not mess with foreign women, he wouldn't have gone down the tubes. If he had read the word of God, where it says there's only one God to worship, he would not have gone down the tubes. So it's essential that we read the word of God. But friends, God not only speaks through the Bible, God speaks in other ways as well. He speaks through your conscience. You know, we're convicted. We do something. I was in the presence of someone yesterday, uh, it was a married couple, and, and I, 
I heard the guy being very sharp with his wife. And I thought, this isn't right. And I said to Kathy, I, I said, I don't understand that. This is a, a person that I believe knows the Lord. And I said, why was he not convicted by this raising of his voice? And we came to the conclusion, we don't have the sensitivity because we may not walk as close to the Lord. The closer we walk, the more sensitive we are to our conscience. So God speaks through the word. He speaks through our conscience. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can bring things to us throughout the day. He may lay a person on our hearts to pray for that person. Uh, the Holy Spirit may lay on us, hey, pick a phone up, call this person. Hey, they have a problem. So again, it's an obedience to our conscience. It's obedience to those words. God uses people to speak to us. Have you ever had that? God brings somebody into your life, and you know God has spoke through that person. What am I going to do with it? When God speaks through a person. And God speaks through circumstances. I think many times God speaks through hard situations, and he's trying to knock at the door of our, our lives, trying to get our attention. I think probably the wisest thing we can ever do when we go through the, the trials of the hard times in our life is say, Lord, what's the lesson you're trying to get me to learn in this hard time? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? You've allowed these hard times. What's the lesson for me? So that's the takeaway I see it from the story here. Let's listen to the Lord. Let's give him wide open ears. Let's seek to obey him. Let's be, as David, it says, is described as a man or a woman after the heart of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lesson. <clears throat> and Father, we, we thank you for the lesson of Saul's life, Lord, as we track it through the scriptures. We see, Lord, that he started out well, strong, anointed of God. And yet he ended up at the end, killing 85 priests. Lord, we did, we just see he began to backslide. And I pray for us, Lord. I pray, uh, Lord, if any of us are beginning to slip and slide in our walk with you, Holy Spirit, would you please speak to us? Speak to us, Lord, if there's stuff in our lives that, that's messing us up. Uh, speak to us, Lord, if there's things that are sidetracking us from an intimate walk with you. So, Lord, help us, we pray, uh, not to fall in the trap of Saul or the trap of Solomon. Lord, give us a sensitive heart and obedient spirit. And, Father, we thank you for this, and we just ask it boldly in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. You have a great day and uh, good being with each of you today. Amen.